with your host, Stephanie Arnold. Welcome back to the show, Phil. And joining us today is Niadi Ahuja. Niadi is a senior economist in Phil's practice group and has worked with him for five years on antitrust class certification. Yes, uh, it's hard to believe it's been five years already, Niadi. It's just uh, time flies, doesn't it? Yes, it does, especially when you're enjoying your work and your work environment. We do have fun. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to hear that. Anyways, well, good morning, Stephanie. It's great to be back again. Thank you for uh, inviting us to join you. Well, I'm happy to have you guys back. And Phil's familiar with this format. I always ask a kind of a fun icebreaker question at the beginning. Um, All right. So our icebreaker question of today is, are you a recipe follower when you cook? Not one wee bit. I'm terrible. So do you make up? kind of recipes as you go along. I simply I look at a recipe and I, I, I actually cook a lot so I look at a recipe and then I do my own thing and then if it doesn't turn out good I blame the recipe. <laughs> Phil are you a recipe follower? I like to have a recipe to start with but then I like to feel free to deviate and, and experiment a bit so I, I am not a great enough cook to to know exactly how dishes work so I like to have that that structure of what works for other people and then to make it make it more what what I like. I'm not a recipe follower either. I make things up pretty much 99%. I'm not a very good baker, so if I bake I had to follow a recipe, but other than that, yeah, I'm I I could never just follow a recipe. I don't like feeling confined. <laughs> All right, well, let's jump right into it. Uh Phil, what's new in Class Cert these days? Well, there's a lot going on always, but one issue that's been a bit of a hot-button issue lately is uh, something called ascertainability. It's uh, kind of divided circuit courts and, and been changing a bit of the way we do things. Okay, I have to ask, what does ascertainability mean? So, Stephanie, in Class Cert, ascertainability means the ability to identify class members. It's whether or not you can figure out if a person who claims to be a class member is in fact one. Yeah, really the bottom line is, can you figure out the extent of the the class and do so without a big burden, without tearing open somebody's computer, for example, to see if it really has a specific component? There's a debate over how much plaintiffs must do at the class search stage to show there's an administratively feasible way of identifying class members. Do you guys have any recent cases that you can speak about this topic? Yes. In fact, there's been a couple of interesting cases that have uh, come up. One such case is Brisno or Briseno versus Conagra, where uh, class members were people who bought a cooking oil, the Wesson brand cooking oil that was labeled 100% natural uh, during the relevant period. The, the defendant, Conagra, in this case, argued that there is no way to identify class members because people don't hold on to their grocery receipts typically, and they would not remember details about low-cost purchases such as cooking oil. And so they argued that this class should not be certified. Yeah, and this issue also came up in a pay-for-delay pharmaceutical case for a drug called ProVigil. The question in that case was whether records from pharmacies and other retailers were sufficient to identify the specific patients who purchased this drug and qualified as class members. So in your guys' opinion, what is the requirement for class certification? You know, that part's unclear. Different courts have taken different approaches recently. In this um, provisional case that Phil just mentioned, 
The Third Circuit said that at the class cert phase, plaintiffs are required to show ways of identifying class members. And that should be, they should be administratively feasible, which means that they should be practical and not require individual inquiry for each, each class member. But in the Conagra case, the Ninth Circuit said that there isn't any separate requirement for ascertainability and it's sufficient to just show that the class is well-defined and manageable. Phil, what has been your experience with this issue? Until recently, it hadn't been an issue for us at all. For the economists in the case uh, cases, we weren't asked to work on it. But in one recent big antitrust case, uh, we were asked to help address an ascertainability question. It was a case involving a component that's widely used in electronics products. The defendants argued that identifying class members would be too difficult because of different manufacturers and different types of this component that are used, and some of those not being involved in the price fixing case at all. So because of that, and because you couldn't see the actual component without tearing the product open, the exact components you wouldn't know, they argued, uh, whether or not they were in the products. So defendants had a technical expert who said that there was no practical way to do this, uh, no practical way to identify which end products contain the components at issue, and whether or not, consequently, the product purchaser would be entitled to any damages. Counsel asked us to see if the data and documents we've been reviewing for our other work in the case contained information about which finished products had those affected components in them. And that was really our question. Can you tell from available documents and data which products, and, and there were hundreds, of th hundreds or thousands of them that were potentially impacted, have the at-issue components in them? It was a big challenge that we, well, Niadi and her team really, took on. Yes, it was challenging. It was challenging, but doable. How did you face those challenges? So the defendant's expert had really ignored the transaction data and the market data and the documents that came along with discovery. And we saw that there were many different ways of getting at this ascertainability issue. There was a lot of information in the defendant's transaction data um, and also market-wide data that told us which companies bought the at-issue products from the defendants. And we also looked at product manuals, spec sheets, that were documents provided by by finished product manufacturers of the electronics um, that often had information about where the components originated from. And then interestingly, there were many recall notices during this time period. The defendants issued and those gave precise instructions to consumers about how to identify whether the product they owned had a recall on it because of an affected component. And so obviously, the component manufacturers and the finished product manufacturers both have a good way of tracking down where they, their products end up. Ah, okay. So how did it turn out? Uh, well, with the process Niyadi just described, we found that we could determine with a high degree of certainty whether a specific product, finished product model, had the ad issue component in it. We found that with some creative thinking and some good, efficient search tools, we could give a solid answer to the ascertainability issue without breaking the budget or breaking open any products. Yeah, well, you never want to break a budget. Uh, what did you guys, what were some of the biggest takeaways from this case um, that would be important for clients to know when addressing ascertainability? No, I think the main lesson we learned was that 
if there is a requirement to address ascertainability, then it's helpful to think about it early on. That way, um, our clients can make decisions about narrowing down the class if that's necessary, and they can bring the experts on early, and also they can make sure that the right kinds of documents are asked for at the discovery stage. That really saves time and expense later on. Great, well, this question is for both of you. What do you think lies ahead for ascertainability? Well, for one thing, hopefully some clarity from the courts about the legal standards for ascertainability. Perhaps a decision from the Supreme Court whether uh, what really is needed will end the split and the uncertainty about what we have to do. And I think um, one thing that lies ahead is that if this becomes a routine part of the investigation in class cert, then economists certainly have a role to play. Um, this may not be traditional for economists. This may not be something that you know you naturally think about economists when you, when you start thinking about ascertainability. And there definitely is a role for technology experts here. But there's so much to be learned from market data and defendant data in this regard um, that we as economists, we work with anyways, that we can offer real value to our clients uh, on this topic. Uh-huh. Excellent. All right, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and wrap up with a question that I have asked everybody. Phil's already answered this question, so I'm going to ask Niyadi. Niyadi, what is your favorite part about being an economist? What is my favorite part? Let me. I th- I think to me it is um, how we start off with a really complicated problem and we get gigabytes of data and thousands sometimes millions of documents, uh, but we are able to spin a story from them. We are able to look at things objectively and and glean the story that the data is trying to tell. Oh, thank you. That's a great answer. Well, I just want to say thank you to both of you for being here. If you'd like to learn more about Phil or Niati, you can head to our website, www.econ1.com. And if you have any questions for us, please feel free to email at inside expert at econ1.com thanks guys thank you thank you thank you for joining us on inside expert